All right, here's the next one. Well, I did have the Lex phrase. There it is. Here's who reigns after Menahem. And by the way, Menahem is the only, I think he's the only one in this section who dies of natural causes. But when he rested with his fathers, then Pekahiah, his son, reigned in his place. Let's see what happens with him. In the 50th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekahiah, the son of Menahem, became king over Israel in Samaria and reigned two years, another pretty short tenure. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. And then Pekah, the son of Remaliah, an officer of his, conspired against him and killed him in Samaria in the citadel of the king's house, along with Argob and Ariah. And with him were 50 men of Gilead. He killed him and reigned in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Pekahiah and all that he did, indeed they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. So Menahem dies after 20 years, natural causes. And when he does, his son Pekahiah comes to the throne. And Pekahiah seems to have followed in the same sort of foreign policy as his dad. He keeps the, the Syria, Assyrian appeasement policy going. And it only lasts for two years because imagine now he keeps trying to get money from the people to pay off Assyria and what's eventually going to happen with the people. They get tired of it. So after two years, Pekahiah is assassinated and a man named Pekah comes to the throne and he takes a little bit more of a hard line stance with Assyria. This isn't all spelled out here. We'll actually see some of this in the next chapter. But what Pekah does is he forms an alliance with Syria. Okay, there's Syria and then Assyria. He forms an alliance with Syria to try to resist Assyria. He even goes down south um, and, and tries to get Judah to join in on the alliance. And uh, Judah doesn't want to join in, so they attack Judah. Judah then sends money to Assyria as well, and they pay Assyria to invade Israel. Now, I don't know if you're keeping up with all this. So you have Israel who joins with Syria to try to resist Assyria. When Judah, the southern kingdom, won't join in, they attack Judah to try to force them to join in. To defend against that, Judah, the southern kingdom, sends money to Assyria to pay them to attack the northern kingdom. And that's what's going to be described here. He does attack the northern kingdom, and here's what happens in that attack. In the 52nd year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekah, the son of Remaliah, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 20 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Here comes the phrase again. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and took Ijan, abel beth Mecha, Genoa, Kedesh, Hazor, Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, and he carried them captive to Assyria. Then Hoshea, the son of Elah, led a conspiracy against Pekah, the son of Remaliah, and struck and killed him. So he reigned in his place in the 20th year of Jotham, the son of Uzziah. Now the rest of the acts of Pekah and all that he did, indeed they're written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. I know there's a lot to keep up with because it's one killed after the next, after the next, after the next. So Pekah becomes king, attacks the south, they pay off the Assyrians to invade, and what happens when Assyria invades? Did you get all these, all these cities right here at the bottom of these verses? These are all cities in the northern part of Israel. So what happens is finally, after, after they've tried to pay Assyria all this money, Assyria invades anyway. And take, Assyria at this point takes the whole part of the northern territory of the kingdom of Israel. 
So by the end of this, Pekah is reigning over a very uh, stamp-sized territory of land. It's just Samaria and the area around Samaria. Other than that, Assyria at this point conquers most of the northern territory. Okay, so the northern kingdom is beginning to fall. And eventually what happens with Pekah? What's happening to all these guys? Well, he also gets assassinated and he's replaced by Hoshea. Now, stop on Hoshea because Hoshea is the end of the line of the northern kings. He is the last king of the northern empire. We'll, we'll see the end of things in chapter 17. But we've come, I mentioned a roller coaster ride. Well, Hoshea is where the ride pulls back into the station. It all ends. So we have come to the end of things with Hoshea. So do you see how with each one of these kings, it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse, assassinations, sinning against their people, taking more and more sums of money, foolish decisions, giving in to the enemies, no trust in God. And, and let me mention one or two quick things and we'll dismiss. One, I just want to, again, make a point of this phrase. What it says about all of these kings, they did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. It says that over and over and over. Now, what's striking is Jeroboam reigned 200 years before this. So here we are 200 years later, and the idolatry that was first begun under Jeroboam is still running rampant. None of these kings, none of these people have done anything to bring it to an end. So it's almost like Jeroboam first swallowed the poison that is now leading to the destruction of, of the kingdom. So uh, back in World War II, when Germany conquered France, they went into France and they, they took over some of the German factories and started using, uh, excuse me, French factories. They started using French factories to build war supplies for the German army. And so you had French factories being worked in by French citizens being forced to build tanks and trucks and weapons for the enemy. And so you can imagine that the French were, were looking for any way possible to sabotage all this equipment they were, they were having to build for the Germans. And one of the things, it was hard to do because the Germans kept a sharp eye on things, but one of the things they did at one of their plants, a plant that was building uh, transport trucks for the German army, it was real subtle. All they did is they took the, uh, the dipsticks, the oil dipsticks that you measure oil with, and they moved the notch on the dipstick way down the stick. So when they would come rolling off the assembly line, the, the Nazis would check everything and make sure everything was put together right. They would check the oil, and according to the dipstick, it would show that it had plenty of oil in it. So they would send it out into the field, and it was actually way low on oil. And it wouldn't be long. It would run for a little while. The engine would seize up, and they would have all of these problems. But the problem that led to the truck breaking down was there from the time it rolled off the assembly line. Well, that, that's kind of what you get with the northern kingdom, where it keeps repeating the sins of Jeroboam. It's like what led to the demise of the northern kingdom, the idolatry of Jeroboam was there from the very beginning. What happened is what the first generation worshipped just became what the next generation worshipped and became what the next generation. There's a, there's a warning there, by the way, for us parents and grandparents. What we worship 
will most likely become what our children worship, right? That's just the way God intervenes and changes. God can do all of that, but this is sort of the natural progression. The first generation was in idolatry. No one ever stepped in and stopped it, and it ends up leading to the ruin of, of this kingdom. I gotta mention one more thing. I don't wanna end without saying this. Um, did you notice as we were running through those different cities that the Assyrians captured, you probably didn't notice many of the names, but you probably did notice this. One of the few you probably recognized was Galilee. So the region that the Assyrians moved into and conquered here was the region of Galilee. Where, where do we know Galilee from? From the New Testament, right? Galilee is where Jesus was born. That's where Nazareth was. Galilee is uh, where Jesus called his disciples. Galilee is where Jesus performed most of his miracles. Galilee is where Jesus preached most of his sermons. So we know Galilee. And Galilee, Galilee, by the way, in Israel is the area, you have the, uh, the Sea of Galilee, and then the area around the Sea of Galilee was known as Galilee. Okay, well, Galilee in, in the Old Testament is the area that the Assyrians came into, conquered, and then they didn't just conquer it, they took the people into exile. Now, it's hard, it's hard to even imagine what that would be like because think of what exile was. Exile was they would come into your city, they would come into your family, and they would rip away people. Half of your city would be gone. Half of your family would be taken away and you would never see them again. Okay, so your whole area is conquered. People you love are stripped away and you never see them again. That's what's happening in Galilee. Well, do you remember how I mentioned earlier that it was during this time that Isaiah's ministry is beginning to unfold? And Isaiah mentions the darkness that was happening around Galilee. Isaiah knew the horrors happening in the northern part of Israel. You'll be familiar with this passage, part of it anyway. Listen to Isaiah in, dadgummit, my laptop, I mean my iPad's not cooperating. Look in your Bible, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Notice what Isaiah talks about, starting verse, uh, starting verse 1. He begins talking about that northern territory where he says, Isaiah 9 verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Zeb Zebulun and Naphtali was the territory right around the Sea of Galilee. Okay, that's, that's what becomes known as Galilee in the New Testament. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And after more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness. Now pause for a minute. So Isaiah is talking about this territory in northern Israel. And notice the words he uses to describe what they've experienced. He uses the word gloom, the word distress, the word oppressed. In verse 2, he uses the word darkness. So he's describing the area of Galilee, and they have experienced horrors. It has been gloom and darkness. But notice what Isaiah prophesies in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. So he's talking about this northern part of Israel that's known such oppression, and he says, one day, that dark area is gonna have a light shine. What's the light he's talking about? What's the, this is maybe the best known prophecy that we think about if Christmas. Go back to Isaiah 9, skip down to verse six. 
He describes this light in a little more detail that's going to shine there one day. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this light he's prophesying here is going to come in what form? In the form of a baby who's going to be born. But this wasn't going to be any baby that's going to be born. This baby who's going to be born in Galilee is going to be everlasting God. So it's in, I just want to point out, it's in this time of doom and darkness and exile that God gives Isaiah this prophecy about what we celebrate as Christmas. Where he tells them that one day light is going to break through in Galilee. This area that's known all of this darkness is going to know the light of the Messiah being born of the Savior. So he's pointing them, even now, even at this point, he's pointing them forward to the coming of Jesus when the darkness is going to give way to light. So I wanted to make that connection to what we're looking at here in December at Christmas that's happening in the middle of all the terrible things going on in 2 Kings. Okay, we'll stop there and we'll come back and look at the end of uh, chapter 15 and chapter 16 with Judah next week. I know that's a lot of different kings, but hopefully you hung in there with it. Let's pray. I'll let you go get your youngins.